Welcome to Absence Management Perspectives, a DMEC podcast. The Disability Management Employer Coalition, or DMEC as we're known by most people, provides focused education, knowledge, and networking opportunities for absence and disability management professionals. DMEC has become a leading voice in the industry and represents more than 16,000 professionals from organizations of all sizes across the United States and Canada. This podcast series will focus on industry perspectives and provide the opportunity to delve more deeply into issues that affect DMEC members and the community as a whole. We're thrilled to have you with us and hope you will visit us at dmec.org to get a full picture of what we have to offer, from webinars and publications to conferences, certifications, and much more. Let's get started and meet the people behind the processes. Hello, and welcome to Absence Management Perspectives, a DMEC podcast. I'm Heather Grimshaw, Communications Manager for DMEC. I recently spoke with Dr. Deborah Dupre, Chief Executive Officer of Relationships at Work, for a Q&A column about changes that employers are facing for At Work Magazine. As an absence management consultant and a mediation specialist, Dr. Dupre has a unique perspective on the unprecedented changes in operations and employee management that employers are facing today. And we wanted to share some snippets of the audio interview so you can hear Dr. Dupre's guidance directly. We hope you will also read the full Q&A in the magazine and included a link to that in the notes section of this episode. Are there other policies or practices that you would advise DMEC members maybe to reconnect or to connect a little differently and more effectively with their teams? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are um, several things. You know, again, um, I see and encourage employers to, again, what, what, you know, what is our mission, purpose, and values? Because it's oftentimes one of those things is what I say and what I do are not aligned. Right. Okay. And so there's mixed messages and creating confusion. And so that 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 is where employees find it challenging them to really get on board and be aligned with their organizations because there is inconsistency. And as I always tell leaders when I'm you know coaching or training them is that, you know, as a leader, I don't care what level you are, all eyes are always on you. Right. You know? So how you conduct yourself and, and how you um, carry out you know, the organization's uh, purpose is, is critically important. And are you behaving and doing things in alignment with those things? So I was like, go back to the evidence, you know, go back to the policy, you know, because we, we think we might know things, but over time we forget. It's like, oh, gosh, I, I forgot all about that. For example, I was uh, just earlier this week uh, working with a, a, a local city and and we've done a number of interactive process meetings for employees with disabilities. And I've asked, well, what is your policy? You know, about how long do you provide temporary accommodation? And um, uh, I don't think we have one. Well, she just notified me. She said, oh, no, we do. You know, it's 90 days. It's like, well, that would have helped deal with a couple of really challenging issues last year, you know. <clears throat> yeah. And so, you know, again, revisiting your, your policies and procedures and are they current? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. One of the things I I um, encounter a lot is job descriptions that are vastly outdated, and and so that's important for a number of reasons. Um, hiring and recruitment and onboarding, you know, uh, because that you know if your job descriptions are not relatively current, then what kind of message are you giving your you know, new employees? It's also critically important that when you do have employees 
who have medical conditions where their performance of essential functions may be impacted. You know, again, if you've got outdated procedures that, you know, go back 10 years or even five years, then it's like, okay, well, where do we begin here? Uh, foundations of what the Americans with Disabilities Act and the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission say is kind of updated job descriptions. And I know that's a huge endeavor, huge endeavor. It, it's, it's an investment for an organization. But if you chunk it down and maybe take a you know a division or a department here and there and you know have that you know as a goal over the next two or three years, you know, and then too with updated technology, the way we're operating today, it's very important to do that. <clears throat> so, so taking a look at job descriptions, taking a look at policies, um, uh, you know, and practices to make sure that they're current in today's modern world is important and. Um, and then also taking a look at lead policies. One of my challenges I face in working with organizations is um, a lack of clear guidance around um, providing temporary accommodation when somebody is going through something medical and, you know, if they can come back to work. Um, and it's not not always intentional, so I don't want to ascribe any um, blame or fault, but, you know, too many times employees are left off of work unnecessarily because of a medical condition. And employers don't really know how to ask the right questions. They don't have a procedure for how to engage employees. And um, they don't do things like temporary accommodation, whether it's remote work or um, modified duties or alternative assignments. And then managing the timeframes for that appropriately. And so one of the things you know I see a lot is because of some of these requirements now, particularly in school districts where I do a lot of work, is that um, Job duties are also being realigned and, um, you know, and, and incorporating new things because of COVID-induced um, practices. And so um, so that's where going back to the job descriptions, you know, at least in the school district environment, you know, they have bargained with their, their um, uh, labor unions uh, as far as adjusting job descriptions to be inclusive of some of these new demands related to COVID you know, like testing, tracing, and, and just sanitization and things like that, that may not have been in job descriptions before. And and then even um, the hiring of additional people to keep up with the workload. You know, so this is, a, again, a, another area where just thinking outside the box and being flexible and, okay, how do we, how do we reconfigure things? And um, uh, so that we're, we're doing our, our job of keeping a safe workplace I like to emphasize how there's not just physical safety, it's also psychological safety. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a good point. Um, and I think a lot of times people struggle with that concept of psychological safety. I already mentioned the social unrest, you know, and, and how that, you know, opened up Pandora's box in terms of attitudes and prejudices that still, you know, proliferate, um, you know, in society, in our cultures, and in the workplace, and how that, uh, you know, has created psychologically unsafe conditions. And, um, and but then we also look at the toxicity of the political divide. And uh, and that's a whole nother arena of, of lack of psychological safety. Who can I talk to? I mean, you know, there are plenty of stories out there where families are divided. <clears throat> and, and that's why I just implore with leaders and organizations that we can't afford not to look at things differently. That's a great point. 
you mentioned the policy piece. Is there a guideline or a recommendation that you have for organizations? Maybe is it every five years? Is it every two years? Is it every year that you reassess, you look at those different departments and ensure that you are that your that your policies are, as you mentioned earlier, aligning with your mission uh, purpose, mm-hmm. um, and also that you've updated things. So, to your point about the schools, you're you're renegotiating as you need to to make sure that you're covered legally, and also that your employees and teams have what they need to be successful. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not. I can't really say that there's any specific you know timeline as far as how frequent uh, job descriptions should be updated. Um, but what I would suggest is that you know, organizations um, make it part of their plan, the strategic plan, to reevaluate you know, the nature of their organization, what changes or innovations have transpired intentionally or unintentionally. Because certainly a lot of what we've experienced the last couple of years was unintentional. <clears throat> right. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I would suggest, I mean, every two years would be, I think, way too much. It's, it's a lot of time and investment. It's a big project. It really is. I've done those yeah. things. And it's like, oh, man, I even get tired of doing them after a while, you know. Sure. And it depends on the, the size of the organization. But, you know, for example, for a really large organization, uh, it, you know, that might be something that each year they, they take a look at, you know, one or two um, key areas, for example. And, um and have a team that will evaluate, you know, are these up to date and what do we need to change? And that way they're continually, it's a, a continual evolution, but um, they're making sure that they're covering all components of the organization. You know, uh, for smaller organizations, um, you know, I, I would say at least every five years. Okay. Okay. Uh, right. But, again, it depends on what's going on. And, you know, if they've incorporated new systems or new technology or they've restructured a department and things like that, uh, reallocated duties, you know, those are all opportunities. I work a lot with organizations to look at their policies about, you know, how to address those things and um, and help put into place, you know, some procedures for how, uh, you know, what they what they can and cannot do according to um, uh, state and federal laws. And guidance is put out there. Um, you know, this whole thing about accommodation for medical conditions or accommodation for religious beliefs has been around for, you know, since Title VII was implemented in the Civil Rights Act, you know, so it's nothing new. It's just, um, you know, we're, we're being faced with it in different ways because of the, the health concern. And so if we look at, you know, what are some practices and procedures we've already dealt with, but now we're expanding our mindset to look at this in light of COVID. You know, so, so again, that's where the flexibility and thinking, you know, I mean, just to say no is not appropriate. Uh, and if, again, if we go back to some of the tenets of the Americans with Disabilities Act, you know, a good faith effort. And that's the that's the premise for mediation, too, a good faith effort to try to resolve the situation um, and, and to have a conversation about, well, how can we do this, engage the employee and uh, and again, temporarily. And so a lot of organizations do have policies around temporary accommodations. So just use those. And so, as I mentioned, 90 days is, is not uncommon. That's consistent with EEOC guidelines. Um, 180 days is uh, sort of the max in terms of best practices according to the EEOC guidelines. And so, again, see if what we can do so we can get back to, you know, some um, 
normalcy, but, you know, again, not to the way things were, but again, so that we can get people back functioning and working appropriately. So that's part of that thinking outside the box, being flexible, um, being able to look at things differently. How can we keep this employee working, but maybe differently, at least in the short run? And I would say this in disability cases, too, is that, you know, 90 days isn't easy, but it's tolerable. We have lots of situations where, you know, okay, in another quarter, you know, things will be different. Right. And then certainly, you know, if things are improving but need more time, then another 90 days um, uh, may be appropriate. Um, but, you know, if things hit the six-month mark, okay, we need to go back and reevaluate, you know, about being able to continue this or not. And so always with that temporary thing, what can we do for now in the short run until circumstances may change? And so one thing I, I, I strongly recommend, particularly in light of what's happened in the last couple of years, is that organizations, you know, it's time to get back to the people skills of being a leader. Yeah. And, you know, and I know that training is always one of those things that, that gets you know thrown out with budgets. But I'm sorry, in the light of, you know, corporate profits this, these last couple of years, you know, I, I have a hard time believing that you don't have the money to invest in your people. And right. this isn't about the technical skills. This is about the people skills. And I'm not going to refer to it as soft skills because they are hard skills strongly needed that many people are lacking. I'll share with you a a stat that comes from the Ken Blanchard Institute is that um, they said that uh, many supervisors and managers don't get the necessary training in how to lead people oftentimes as much as 10 years into their careers. And I certainly see that as a mediator. Oftentimes, the the mistakes, uh, the the miscommunication, the, the uh, foundation of the allegations, um, you know, are often rooted in supervisors and managers, uh, and sometimes leaders of organizations, um, uh, lacking in the area of people people management. And and so um, so that's one thing I, I strongly advocate that organizations take a good hard look at and into building uh, training. The other thing I would suggest is that um, uh, connecting with people more uh, intentionally, and uh, and sometimes it's just a matter of you know three to five minutes. And yeah. so if you make it a routine practice, uh, and that's one thing we were doing at the financial institution. That was the biggest complaint of employees that they were working managers. And so they were busy doing the work of their departments, but they weren't doing the work of managing the people. Right. And so um, weaving into um, their their um, daily and weekly practice, practices, how they can connect with each of their employees um, in some meaningful way. So it started with the CEO, you know, where he would you know meet with everybody uh, as they were onboarding uh, or maybe even before they made the final selection or, you know, something like that. But it's very early in the process. So he got a chance to meet them. And immediately made a difference. That's great advice. Well, I think it's time to get back to management by walking around. Yes. And getting out on the floor, um, you know, touching base with people. Yeah, it just lights people up. And they now they they recognize me. They actually knew my name, you know. And Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it's it it kind of carries through to what you said earlier about that purposeful work. If an executive knows who you are, you think to yourself, "What I do matters." Mm-hmm. So it really it really kind of connects those dots in such a great way. Thank you so much for your time today. Well, thank you, Heather. Well, I really enjoyed this opportunity to talk with you, and and uh, look forward to what comes out of it.